He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. World, what a life, what a day, Saturday, 10, 10, 2020, that adds up now, doesn't it? Crazy times, or as my people say, Meshuggah, sometimes you say Meshuggah, or you could just say Meshug, or you could say he's a little Meshuggy. the word has some compassion to it. Nobody likes to see a crazy person, most people don't want to be crazy, so you have to have Rachmanis. Donald Trump is Michigan, and we need to talk about it. And talk about it, we will. I have great guests today. I talk a little more than normal with my troubadour, Dave Gunders, because he allows me to get some things off my chest, and he gives us a great song right at the outset of this show. Sorry isn't good enough. At this point, Donald Trump, I will try to summon compassion, but this is getting deep and dangerous. We'll talk about the danger with Laura Chapin, my first return guest, because she's so bright, so popular, and she is a woman's right person. And of course, women have rights, and she likes to talk about it, and so do I, in the context of the Kamala debate performance the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her replacement. Will she be confirmed? Amy Coney Barrett, Laura Chapin, and I get into it. But the big surprise is a great guy named Brian Mason in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I know him a little bit. He's the chief deputy DA in Adams County, 17th Judicial District. But now he's running for DA out there, the elected DA spot. He's got quite a history. And he's not afraid to talk about Donald Trump as he tries to win that elective office out there in Broomfield and Adams County. Interesting race. Great guy, Brian Mason. You are in for a treat on this episode of the podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back. Our troubadour, Dave Gunders, has a very special song. I knew it as track 15 on one of your great albums. Tell everybody about it. That song came into being uh, right around the time of the Me Too movement. And actually, I was, I was thinking of Harvey Weinstein when that song came up. Time out. Harvey Weinstein of Miramax fame, the big Hollywood producer, who was at the epicenter of the Me Too movement. First of all, what is the title of this song? Sorry isn't good enough. And I love the lyric where you keep going, tough. Somebody's trying to apologize and the other person is saying, tough. That's for Harvey? That's for Harvey and anyone who's belligerent and feels that they can just walk over other people in an effort to raise themselves higher. Nice. You watch that debate. Your wife named you Mr. Oblivious, but even you watched the debate between Biden and Trump. What were your thoughts? Well, you're talking about the presidential debate. Yes. 
So, well, I thought that that Trump was sniping a lot, and I thought that was his strategy to put Biden off guard. I thought Biden did the best he could do under the circumstances. It showed Trump for who he was. It didn't surprise me at all. I thought Biden held his own. You are a Biden voter. I don't need to work on you. You work on me. It's the other way around. Actually, and, and it's it, interesting. The timing's good because I just sent. I just, I just watched, and you had sent me. Thank you for sending this. It was it was Biden's Gettysburg Address that he gave very recently. I, I thought it was the best I've heard Biden. The most eloquent. It was clear. It was inspirational, and he sounded like a president. I think he's hitting his stride. Fountain of youth. You know, you don't want to give a Ken O'Hara a jinx, but I'll tell you that I think Joe Biden will go the distance. And I think he's a good man. And he proved it at Gettysburg. And thank you very much for watching that. Now, we took a walk and you told me I had to watch a movie called Cold Mountain. And I did. And I'm glad you told me. But why did that movie impact you and why do you recommend it to people? Well, I'm not sure what, like you, I don't remember what got us on the subject of Cold Mountain. It's a great story. The movie, it takes place during the greatest rift in, in, our, in our country's history. So that's how we got onto it. We were talking about Trump. I talk about him endlessly because he bothers me. And I think we're headed toward a problem. Jim Clyburn just said, we are teetering on the brink. And if you look at Cold Mountain, and I just watched it. The Civil War was horrific. And you think about certain battles, but you forget about the home front and the home guard and the creepy old guys who are behind while the young guys are sacrificed during war. And you can't help but think, why do we have a rift like this? And I'll tell you why. And I tell it to my kids, and I'll tell it to your kids, Rachel and Sarah. It is Donald Trump. He is deliberately divisive. But what is most disturbing is that the Republicans enable him, our friends, our neighbors, and I'm pissed. I don't want to go through a cold mountain civil war. So I think that was it, don't you? Well, that's well said, Craig. And, and, I, and I will say again that to hear Biden's words is very comforting because he you know, he, he, he talks about this country being at a, you know, a crossroads right now. He's absolutely right. And, you know, the, the you know, fanning the hatred that is so prevalent now is not the answer. And he, and he put his finger on it. Anyone out there who didn't see that speech, I, I ask you to watch Biden because he talks about the need for us to talk to each other, to respect each other, to love each other. The other way, we're, right now we're in a, we're in a, you know, a, a zeitgeist where it, just the opposite is true. And just because you said zeitgeist, which is the magic word, remember Groucho Marx, you won yourself $500. We are going to play Joe Biden at Gettysburg right now. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Here, on this sacred ground, Abraham Lincoln reimagined America itself. You don't have to agree with me on everything or even on most things, to see that we're experiencing today is neither good 
nor normal. I made the decision to run for president after Charlottesville. Close your eyes and remember what you saw. Neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and the KKK coming out of the fields with torches lighted, veins bulging, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. It was hate on the march, in the open, in America. Hate never goes away. It only hides. And when it's given oxygen, when it's given an opportunity to spread, when it's treated as normal and acceptable behavior, we've opened a door in this country that we must move quickly to close. I believe in law and order. I've never supported defunding the police, but I also believe injustice is real. It's a product of a history that goes back 400 years, the moment when black men, women, and children first were brought here in chains. I do not believe we have to choose between law and order and racial justice in America. We can have both. This is a nation strong enough to both honestly face systemic racism and strong enough to provide safe streets for our families and small businesses that too often bear the brunt of this looting and burning. We have no need for armed militias roaming America's streets. And we should have no tolerance for extremist white supremacy groups menacing our communities. As president, I will embrace hope, not fear. Peace, not violence. Generosity, not greed. And light, not darkness. I'll be a president who appeals to the best in us, not the worst. I'll be a president who pushes toward the future, not one who clings to the past. I'm ready to fight for you and for our nation every day, without exception, without reservation, and with a full and devoted heart. We cannot and will not allow extremists and white supremacists to overturn the America of Lincoln and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, to overturn the America that has welcomed immigrants from distant shores, to overturn the America that has been a haven and a home for everyone, no matter their background. From Seneca Falls to Selma to Stonewall, we're at our best when the promise of America is available to all. We cannot and we will not allow violence in the street to threaten the people of this nation. We cannot and will not walk away from our obligation to at long last face the reckoning on race and racial justice in this country. We cannot and will not continue to be struck in the partisan politics that lets this virus thrive while the public health of this nation suffers. We cannot and will not accept an economic equation that only favors those who've already got it made. Everybody deserves a shot at prosperity. Duty and history call presidents to provide for the common good. And I will. After hearing the second inaugural address, Frederick Douglass told the President Lincoln, Mr. Lincoln, that was a sacred effort. We have to be dedicated to our own sacred effort. The promise of Gettysburg that the new birth of freedom was at hand 
I think it's at risk. Every generation that has followed Gettysburg has been faced with a moment when it must answer this question, whether it will allow the sacrifices made here to be in vain or be fulfilled. This is our moment to answer this essential American question for ourselves and for our time. And my answer is this. It cannot be that after all this country has been through, after all that America has accomplished, after all the years we have stood as a beacon of light to the world, it cannot be that here and now in 2020, we will allow the government of the people, by the people, and for the people to perish on this earth. No, it cannot, and it must not. We have it in our hands, the ultimate power, the power to vote. It's the noblest instrument ever devised to register our will in a peaceable and productive fashion. And so we must. We must vote. We will vote. No matter how many obstacles are thrown in our way, because once America votes, America will be heard. Lincoln said, the nation is worth fighting for. So it was, and so it is. Together, as one nation, under God, indivisible, let us join forces to fight the common foe of injustice and inequality, hate, and fear. Now back to Cold Mountain. We can't play all of that, but I do recommend it. It's free on HBO if you have a subscription. And young Nicole Kidman, Jude Law, they have a romance that reminded me of Ben and Elaine in The Graduate. I love those stories about a guy doing anything in his pursuit of a woman. Don't you, Dave Gunders? Oh, she was she was the flame that kept him living during all the hardship that he endured. Yeah, Nicole Kidman can do that, especially, what was that, 20 years ago? 1993. Right, it's been okay, some time. Okay, who produced that movie? Miramax. Who was the head of Miramax? Oh, was it Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein. How interesting is that? Isn't that interesting? And Renee Zellweger won an Academy Award for playing, do you remember her name there? Um, I don't, Bug. Ruby. Yeah. Ruby. She Ruby. was terrific. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Ada, Ada Monroe was Nicole Kidman. And Inman was played by Jude Law. Donald Sutherland played her father. But that guy Teague, the guy who stayed behind to torment the town. It was a good point you made, Craig, but it's the kind of thing, you know, we, we you know, you read, you read the history of our, of our wars and so many times it's on the big stage, but it's true to really understand the suffering. You do go to the farms, to the businesses that shut down, to the, to the people who starved on the home front. And some people will victimize women and they were targets of rape and attack. And Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, they just arrested a credible crew bent on kidnapping and probably killing her. This is going on in America, 25th Amendment now. It's gotten too deep. I know you didn't watch the BP debate because you already know who you're going to vote for. You're not that much of a political junkie. But Kamala Harris did fine. She won. But I'm not saying she was the greatest all time, but she tried to lay low, and I, I thought she was mild 
okay, smart, mild, made no mistakes. But the president of the United States has now called her a monster. A monster. What do you do with monsters? You have to kill the monster, right? And he also said Joe Biden's not going to last more than two months in office, thereby signaling the Proud Boys, who he said, stand back and stand by. Look, you're going to have a black woman in charge of your country, and you guys know what that means. Get ready. And it's almost like Cold Mountain. You can't believe it would go on in 2020 or that people would be so stupid. And I understand there are a lot of ignorant people in the world, but I work with some smart people on Denver Trump radio. And I thought they were smarter than this and better than this. But if you support this kind of crap, then you are an accomplice. You are complicit at this point. Brother against brother. It's that personal. And isn't that what your song is about, Dave Gunders? Crimes can be committed for which an apology does not cut it. Right. And at a certain point, with all this evidence on the table, if you won't walk away from this guy and say, he's my sugar, you know what? We're pro-life. We could find better people to represent our pro-life position than this guy. We've got to. Because this guy is he's not well. And when Cory Gardner's of the world won't stand up to him, what chance do we have? And when Cory Gardner later says, well, sorry, Craig, but there was this, there was that, I'm going to say tough shit. I've written you open letters, approached you respectfully, and sorry won't be good enough. Dave Gunders, you're the author of this song and the guy who sings it. Am I on to something? Is, is that the harsh judgment? And you wrote it for Harvey Weinstein. You've gone too far, man. Sorry isn't going to cut it. Well, I understand, and uh, I think your, your words are true, Craig. Well, let's listen to this beautiful song by Dave Gunders. you so when you flirted and attacked it's over now. 
making others smile Afraid you'll have to leave that world behind Dan Levitt, Sandler Training. Hi, Dan. Craig sent me. Craig Silverman? That's him. Man, can I tell you a good story about Craig? I'd love it. Once Craig took his dog, Tuffy, to a singing competition. For what purpose? Well, the dog was going to be in a dog food commercial. And how did they do? Well, Tuffy did fine. That dog, he could sing. So did they get the job? No, they didn't. There was a problem. And what was that? Well, Tuffy only sang when Craig started singing. And when that happened, everybody around started laughing. You know, Craig's not a good singer. But Craig's a great talker. You know, he sure is. Now let's talk about how Sandler can help you. Great, my sales team really needs help. You've come to the right place. Sandler Training can help you big time if you are a salesman or a sales manager. If you would like to learn more about Tuffy or me or how to make sales, Call my old friend, Dan Levitt, 303-829-2107, 303-829-2107. Tell him Craig and Tuffy sent you. This is the Craig Silverman Show, and I'm Craig. Our democracy is at stake. It's never been more important to let your voice be heard. Join the conversation and fight for our democracy. It is our duty and our constitutional right. Follow The Craig Silverman Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at C. Silverman Show. Be a part of the change. Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show. Someone called and told me to listen to Peter Boyles. I have gotten out of the habit, and boy, am I the better for that. But I heard that there was talk about violence in downtown Denver, and I tuned in. There was the regular, Patrick Neville, who took over talk radio when he assumed a leadership position with the Republican Party. 710KNUS started having him on every show but mine. I could not see the attraction. That continued this morning as Patrick Neville stepped down from leadership and told everybody about it on Peter Boyle's show. Understand, Patrick Neville has been invited to the Trump White House. He's Trumpy, and he claims to have lost battle with regular Republicans who Peter Boyle's disdains. If, as my grandma would say, God forbid Biden wins, this is going to totally embolden all of these guys in Colorado. If Hickenlooper wins, it will totally embolden all of them in Colorado. Now what? 
Yep, and that's the worry. And if we don't take back the Senate, we don't win back some seats in the House. Um, we think what they what they did in the 2019-2020 oh. legislative sessions was bad. Oh, my goodness. We are, we are going to be in for it in Colorado. Yeah. And so that's that's why we're running these hard hitting pieces and these yeah. this stuff from Take Back Colorado. We're not we're not trying to play games. Yeah. We're I mean it, break, see, it breaks my we heart. See the writing on the wall. Yeah, I'm I'm having a text thing with Randy. I love Randy. Randy and I we just fight like cats and dogs. But I really love Randy, and I'm so angry at the Colorado Republican Party and its maturations and its mechanics and its commercials because it's my future. It's everybody's future. And Randy and, and, and Tigger coming up. And I got to tell you something. If Hickenlooper pulls this off, you know, it's, 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 it's trouble. It's big trouble. And, and then I made that running gag. Then Norm Brownstein will control two U.S. senators, Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper. But we're, 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 at, a, we're at a crossroads right now. And I can tell you, Pat, I'm sweating rocks. Notice in there how Patrick Neville mentions Take Back Colorado, some nonprofit he runs with his family, I suppose. And he had bragged that they had raised $350,000, but nothing like the lobbyists. Peter Boyles goes on about Randy Corcoran and his love for this guy who I consider not a good person. He now does this Saturday morning show that I had till Kane U.S. ripped away my microphone as I excoriated Donald Trump. I heard that word by Donald Trump this week, excoriated. A lot of people are talking about Donald Trump that way. Corcoran wants to be a politician. Corcoran was backed by Team Trump to be a Republican committee man. He has Trump blessings to organize that rally he did back the blue that got disrupted in mid-July when things were going hot in downtown Denver, where I work. Now, Corcoran, with the aid of a guy named Tig Tegan of Benghazi fame, they want to start something up again. And they come on Boyle's show, and all week, I suppose, I don't listen. They've been building up this clash on the streets of Denver in the Greek amphitheater of Civic Center Park, 2 o'clock on Saturday. It's almost like worldwide wrestling, all-star wrestling, except this is much more serious because I wonder if these guys are getting their marching instructions from Team Trump. Say what you will about Randy Corcoran, and Lord knows I do, and I think even worse. Corcoran went to North Carolina for that North Carolina powwow with Donald Trump, remember, some people in that room came down with COVID, but apparently not Randy Corcoran, who put his life at risk for his Trumpiness. And then he went to Washington. I think Donald Trump wanted to test who really loves me enough to come to the White House and sit on top of each other, right next one person to the other, don't wear masks. He found a perfect pigeon in Randy Corcoran who went, said, I'll do that. He will do anything for Team Trump. And now he's going to Civic Center Park, 2 o'clock on Saturday. But he doesn't want his name necessarily attached to it. He's got Tig Tegan. But at least Corcoran will be there. Peter Boyles, who instigates this crap, never shows up. Very Trumpian right there. 
pretend you love the military but never serve in the military. They have lots of those types over at 710 KNUS. But Tegan really did serve, and I imagine he's a tough guy, and he wants to stir it up. Listen to this. This is Tig's baby, and I have not been involved in talking with police or anything else. I'm just going to be there to back the Patriot muster. Tig, have you talked to the cops at all about this, or have you talked to anybody in the city? Well, well, of course they, they contacted me because, you know, they're, they got to they do their due diligence, due diligence just like they do, you know, when the other side does things. They say, hey, what's going on? What's your agenda? Um, do you plan on, you know, they ask you, you don't plan on getting violent and stuff like that. And obviously, no, we, I never plan on getting violent. You never want to get violent. You never want to attack a fellow countryman in the first place. Um, and so they... They just want to know what what my agenda was, and that was pretty much it. You know, we went through the process trying to get permits. I don't. Again, I'm not waiting for a yay or an a because uh, my opinion is the city probably don't want us to have one anyways. But you know, if they're going to sit down there and they're going to go riot and protest and destroy things without permits, why should we have to have a permit just to have a gathering? Um, so that's that's kind of my mindset. You know, it's you know, like the cops. Of course, they're going to want to know any you know. They should talk with both sides regardless. You know what, you know, the Denver Communist Party, they're doing a, a, a counter protest soup drive. Again, and in that, even in that post, all they call is for violence. In the other posts of that, we got people in, they're actually calling for, you know, people actually to bring their Second Amendment, this and that. He had one guy who posted about how a cop arrested him and he had a knife. And when he comes out this time, a cop does that, he's going to stab the cop. Again, all they do, they just want nothing but violence and destruction with people. And and for your patriots that are still on the fence, I mean, literally, you have a communist party wishing violence and destruction against fellow Americans that are holding a patriot rally in America. I mean, the communist is, is responsible for over 100 million deaths. When it, what, I mean, seriously, what, what, what is going to force you to actually stand up and be heard and seen? If, it, if you're not going to do it, you never, you never will. People are like, always, I, I see it. It's like, well, the time ain't right. The time ain't right. Well, the time's never really going to be right if you just sit there and say that every single time something's going on. Because by the time it, it's going to be too late. Randy Corpin. You will be. Randy Corpin and Teague Teagan tomorrow, 2 o'clock, Civic Center Park. It's the return. The last time we've talked about it, Randy and I have talked about it, I've talked about it ex- extensively, the... Um, Chief of police, I know where he was. I know what they were doing. And if it wasn't for a SWAT lieutenant, things would have been a lot worse. Randy, what do you expect to happen tomorrow? Well, that's a really good question. You know, the only prior experience I have with this is the Stand With Ice rallies. Wow, 100 million dead. The communists killed them. Therefore, we get to kill the communists back before they kill all of us, right? But who are the communists? Joe Biden? Kamala Harris? Yeah, right. Didn't Donald Trump say that on Fox and Friends? She's a monster. And I bet the Proud Boys will be there. Tegan talks about people being proud of their country, and Lord knows the Proud Boys got a boost from the president. I never heard about the Proud Boys till I heard one come on the Stephen Tubbs show on 710 KNUS, and then a couple times with Randy Corcoran. These guys put the Proud Boys on, and there are credible reports by Jeremy Hohola at Nine News that KNUS had a deal with the Proud Boys to put them on the air. Gosh, what a terrible place that has become.
I've got to say this. I enjoyed Tig Tig and challenging Peter Boyles about where are you, man? You'd like to stir it up, but you never show up. Listen to how he put it. Just don't don't be afraid. Come down. We'll you you're gonna be protected. Okay. Um, well, everybody's on their eyes this time. Randy and Teague. Randy's tomorrow morning on 710. Teague Teague, of course, from Benghazi. And they're there tomorrow. I'll lock you in, Peter. No, no, that's all right. I got a, something to do. <laughs> um, tomorrow, tomorrow, 2 o'clock, Civic Center Park. And, you know, hope for the best. It's um, showdown, yeah, showdown, yeah, showdown, showdown, no no, show, showdowns are interesting things, fellas. Yeah, and real quick, it starts at 2, so people that yeah. are coming should come early. No, showdowns are interesting things. And, you know, take care of both of you. I'll talk to you both. Thanks, man. Be safe. Goodbye, you All guys. Right, All right, bye. All right. Um, you want to talk? Take them out of there, man. Hooey, you can hear at the end that Boyles is pissed. Take them off the air, man. Whatever he said to his little stooge producer, he was pissed being confronted like that. Boyles knows just a little bit of history, but he gets it so screwed up. Don't you get it? Tig Tegan says the communists killed 100 million. We are coming to fight them in the streets. If you want a parallel to Nazi Germany, who fought the communists in the streets, ding, 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 I gave you the answer. The Nazis, they won. They suppressed the communists. They suppressed Antifa. And Adolf Hitler took power, and they lived happily ever after. Not. Not at all. What are we doing, people? Nazi Party took control of the radio. Thank goodness there isn't just radio anymore. But this part of the media, talk radio, it's gone to a dark place. Rush Limbaugh entertaining Trump as he's crazy, as Limbaugh is losing his mind as well. Talk radio really destroyed by certain people involved. Boyle starts to contemplate the future. He's an old man, but he's not going out in style. He's going out being associated with the dregs and the bigots and the bad people of the earth. You know, the, the Teague and Randy and others feel like they have to go confront these people. But they're coming to be confronted. It's coming. It's there. It goes back to. I mean, historical parts of this are legion. Who controls? As if the streets are important, because the ballot box is important. But to make the streets the place for the showdown has a real bad history to it. Well, you know, if Donald Trump wins, the, the cities are going to burn. That I, You know, but again, this isn't going to go away because Biden wins or Trump wins. The bullies are Donald Trump. And the Trumpsters, they are the bullies. Talk radio, they bully. We do need to stand up to bullies. And I will continue to do so. Sandler Training is one of the leading sales training and leadership development companies in all the world. If you're interested in increasing your win rates and revenue margins, increasing the number of salespeople exceeding quota, addressing sales manager professional development, reducing your turnover of sales personnel. It's all waiting for you at Sandler Training. Call my pal, Dan Levitt at 303-829-2107 and tell him Craig sent you. Hey, Danny, what happens if somebody calls and says, hey, Craig sent me? Well, Craig, for the first few minutes, we'll probably tell some jokes about you. What? Yeah. 
and then I'll dig into, you know, what what's going on in their world and whether or not I'm a fit for what, you know, might, might be able to help them or not. He's an easy guy to talk to. I've been talking to him for so many decades. Call my old friend, Dan Levitt, 303-829-2107. 303-829-2107. Tell him Craig sent you. Hey there, I'm not going to take a lot of your time. I've been a lawyer almost 40 years. My brother was a lawyer, my father a Denver lawyer, my grandfather a Denver lawyer. If you have a legal problem, call me, 303-861-2800, 303-861-2800. If I'm not the right lawyer for you, I bet I know somebody who is. 303-861-2800. Thank you. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MB LLC.com. Now back to the Craig Silverman Show. This, my friends, is the first returning champion. Laura Chapin was so good in her previous appearance, I just had to have her back because she brings a lot of things to the table. First of all, she's passionate, she's well-informed, and she's interesting. Laura Chapin, welcome back. Oh, thank you. I guess this is sort of the jeopardy of radio. No, muscle talk, really. You are the first returning guest on my podcast. Well, and you've had some terrific guests with so Marty Coniglio and Brian Stelter, and, and you've had some great people. So thanks for having me back. Don't stop there. Joe Walsh. That was unbelievable. Now, first of all, I, I need to ask you, Laura, where do you get your information? We know you were on the Twitter. Every time I go on Twitter, and it's probably a function of me liking every tweet of yours or most of them, I get a steady stream of Laura Chapin. How many times a day do you tweet? Oh, I don't know. Probably 20 to 30. But I think, let me put it this way I feel like that there are spaces where more progressives need to be. And I think Twitter is one of them. And I think that, you know, I think it's important to keep our networks up. I think that's true. And when I look for your tweets, I know I'm going to get a female perspective because you monitor those sorts of things. And it's a it's a function of your background, probably of your gender, too. Let me have you speak for yourself. You've worked for some amazing women leaders. 
And uh, where does your defense of women and your passion for that cause, where does it come from? Well, let me put it this way. Hanging in my guest bedroom is an essay that my great-great-grandmother wrote about 1887-1888 on why women should be given the right to vote. She wrote it probably when she was a teenager as a school essay. Uh, Mamie Peoples Morrow was her name. She was living in Waco, Texas, and my grandmother kept it and had it matted and framed for me, and it's hung in every office I've ever worked in and, and, and traveled with me. So I get it genetically, and, you know, I get it by profession. So there you have it. It's kind of like me as a Jew. It's been handed down for centuries to me. I am a Jew. I'm proud to be a Jew. and. I'm sensitive when Jewish stuff comes up on Twitter or elsewhere. Kind of a similar thing. And I've thought a lot about it. And you study it in law school, Mm -hmm. which is when there's discrimination, say, against Jewish people or black people or brown people. And then what about when women are discriminated against? You brought it up. We didn't even let women vote for the longest time. So Mm -hmm. it's a real struggle. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, may she rest in peace, dealt with it. Give mm-hmm. me your thoughts on all that and the late, great Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Well, I will say, I mean, Ruth lived a life that was truly remarkable, and she really did live and embody her values. And also, she built a ladder for other women to climb up. I mean, it's it's not just about you. It's about who follows. And... Ruth, you know, when when my mother got divorced in the 1970s, she didn't have any money because she didn't have any credit rating because all the finances were in my father's name. And Ruth ensured that women would be treated equally under the law, that they could get their own credit rating, that they could buy a house without a man having to co-sign, that they would be treated equally in the workplace. And these are things that have enabled so many women who came after her. I mean, financial independence for women is a relatively recent phenomenon. The idea that you had your own money and that you had your own career. I mean, that's, that's not something that has existed for very long. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg very much made that possible. And, built the generations that came after her and it just an absolutely remarkable life. And I think one that, you know, all of us should be, should be grateful for and should remember and honor with what we do in our own lives. I can feel the love in your voice, the love and respect for a life well lived by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now let me bring you down perhaps another female, Amy. Tony Barrett, give us your take on this situation, Lord Chapin. Well, I mean, I said this on Twitter that, you know, Amy Coney Barrett is kicking away the ladder that Ruth built. She is, from what I've read of her, she is a woman who does not have a view of the law that applies the Constitution equally to all people and is 
more interested in finding ways to make our society less accessible to people than more. And we shall see, but she was, she was clearly named from ideological reasons. And if she wasn't, then we should have more time to evaluate her. But Republicans are apparently, you know, not interested in that. She was probably also chosen for gender reasons. I think she is an outlier, much like Clarence Thomas is not representative of African-American thinking. But I wonder about Amy Coney Barrett, and I don't think she's that degree of an outlier among women, because as I'm sure you know, and you are in Twitter wars all the time with other women, women can be tough on other women. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason the monsters in Margaret Atwood's books are other women. There are women who derive great comfort from oppressing other women to get approval from others. And that is certainly a characteristic of some people. I mean, it is it is scary to stand on your own, but is something I think that that is necessary. Let's tell everybody about this Twitter war because it ties into this topic. As we speak on Friday, Jenna Griswold, Secretary of State, has come in for some criticism. I think it was a Colorado Public Radio piece by Ben Marcus. And, well, you describe it. You're in the middle of it, Laura. It also involves Lynn Bartles, who's been a guest on my show before. She may end up listening to this. So tell everybody what's going on between you, Jenna Griswold, Lynn Bartles. And I weighed in on your side because I agree with you. But tell everybody about it. I don't know the particulars of Jenna Griswold's situation. I know that as a voter, I feel that she has done a good job as Secretary of State defending our voting system from attacks by the Trump administration. And I I do think some of her prominence has made her an object of attacks. So I, I don't know the specifics of the other thing, but to the larger point, I do think Women in elected office and women who, you know, make themselves prominent do come under more attacks, more vicious attacks, more difficult attacks than men do. I mean, this this very much tees off in the situation in Michigan where the FBI announced, I think they arrested 13 people yesterday for a plot to, you know, kidnap and put Governor Gretchen Whitmer on mock trial all because she implemented COVID-19 safety requirements. Yeah, the Boogaloo boys, dangerous, and they aim their ire at women. Is that a surprise to you? No, I mean, it's, it's you know, toxic masculinity and resentment of women who won't follow the rules is, is very much a characteristic of Trump's Republican Party. And it used to be that these people had the sense to keep their kooky little club to themselves, and now they feel emboldened to bring it out in public. And so so the gist of the beef right now, maybe I have it wrong, but some people on social media feel like the attacks on Jenna Griswold, who was a great guest on my show, I appreciate that, that some of it's been sexist. And Lynn Bartles, who worked for Wayne Williams, previous Secretary of State, she's kind of said, suck it up, buttercup, you know, you're in public life and it's, we, everybody gets criticized. 
And you weighed in saying, no, it is worse for women. Do I have it right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, when I worked for women senators and uh, granted this was, a, I, I will fast drop, up. drop some names. Well, I worked for Senator Boxer and Senator Mikulski back in the day. And I, I will fess up, this was 20 years ago. But even 20 years ago, I mean, there was a website, I'm not kidding, I will, I will never forget this, called the Nuremberg Chronicles that went after pro-choice elected officials. And they had the names of pro-choice women senators written in red letters that was supposed to be blood. Ugh. And I, I I remember that to this day. And of course, Senator Boxer was Jewish, so she gets those attacks as well. And I the double whammy. Yeah, I just remember the level. I mean, we had don't get me started on why I'm mad at Trump for abusing the Secret Service, but you know we had Secret Service protection mm. and we had detailees, and you know this it was still. You know, this was pre 9-11, so security was not quite as bad, but just the level of of hatred. On that side, they want to kill you because you are pro-choice and they say they're pro-life, but you're the ones needing protection. There's a perfect segue into the hot button issue that I know animates you. Abortion. We have a ballot initiative not as incapable of passing as personhood, which said you're a human being, you're a person from the moment of conception. Twice, Colorado's overwhelmingly dispatched that. But now the pro-lifers are back with 115, saying that what, after 22 weeks, the fetus is inviolate, and it's a close call. Tell everybody about it, Laura, and let's have a discussion about abortion and a woman's right to choose. Well, the bottom line here is that Every pregnancy is different. Every situation is different. Every pregnancy is unique. 115 presumes that politicians know best for, you know, women and their doctors, no matter their situation. There are no exceptions in 115 for rape, no exceptions for incest, no exceptions for a fetal diagnosis, no exceptions for health of the mother. And this is a critical point. One of the people that has endorsed the measure is Dr. James Monaco, and he's a cardiologist and or has endorsed the no side. And he's a cardiologist and his practice overlaps a lot with high risk pregnancies because cardiovascular problems are the number one cause of maternal mortality. And from his perspective, what 115 does makes it hard for him as a cardiologist to advise women with high-risk pregnancies and what they can do. Because, I mean, pregnancy is not static. Heart conditions are not static. You can be healthy one minute and then things go south the next. And something like 115 simply doesn't allow doctors and patients to make their best judgment on a medical situation. And that's, I mean, that's, and, and can I just steer people toward Dr. James Monaco's excellent op-ed in the Colorado Sun? I worked there as columnist at large. I read yeah. uh, Dr. Monaco and it gives you things you haven't thought about. And I think the most effective commercial of the current campaign season 
is on your side of 115 with Rabbi Joe Black and his wife Sue from Temple Emmanuel. And they're talking about a terrible day. They learned that their newborn baby was going to have Tay-Sachs disease, which afflicts Ashkenazi Jews in largest part. And that means the baby will be born, have a few months of agonizing human existence before dying. What a choice. And the bottom line is, if you want to go ahead and have a kid under those circumstances, go ahead. Nobody's going to stop you. But if Rabbi Black and Sue made a different choice, should the government be allowed to interfere? I don't think so. That's why I'm on your side, Laura, among other reasons. Thank you. I mean, that's you summarize the situation very well. And the what's really cruel about 115 is the people who put this together openly say they don't believe that people should have that right or that choice if they get a lethal fetal diagnosis. They believe that if you go into your 20-week ultrasound, which is not uncommon, and the doctor says, well, there's, you know, we, we've discovered something and some, there's some things you need to think about. They believe that you should be forced to carry that pregnancy to term. And I can't imagine being a woman who gets some kind of a diagnosis and, you know, people are congratulating you. Oh, you must be so excited. You must be looking forward to it. And all the while, you know that you're not going to have a healthy baby and that something terrible is going to happen. And just the cruelty of thinking anybody else has a right to be a part of that decision is is just appalling. And I, I hope that folks will think about that and vote no on 115. I think that's going to hold sway. Can I run by you my argument? Because I did a show with Dan Kaplis. He makes no secret of the fact that being pro-life is fundamental to him. It's his number one and only issue. That's why mm-hmm. I brought up a guy like Joe Walsh, the politician, the former congressman from Illinois. He's pro-life, but he realizes there are other issues. But mm-hmm. for some people, pro-life is everything. Right. I don't have all the answers on this subject, but I do have the good common sense that my genealogy, God, whatever put inside of me. And if I was God forbid, to encounter a fire at an in vitro fertilization facility designed to let parents have children otherwise impossible. It's a modern miracle, but they have to store a number of Petri dishes with those zygotes in it that Christy Burton Brown and the pro-life movement say are people. If there's a fire and I can only save the 75-year-old security guard who's passed out from smoke inhalation or a box of Petri dishes, I'm going to save the security guard. And then if I have time to run back and his dog is passed out, I'll probably get the dog too because they are living. They're not in a Petri dish. It's different. Everybody approaches it differently. But if somebody went in to get the Petri dishes and let the guard die in the fire, I don't think that makes sense. Is that a good example? Have you ever heard that sort of thing before? Yeah, I've heard that sort of thing before. And I, you know, I've said an administration that has let 210, 211,000 Americans die from a communicable deadly disease doesn't get to call itself pro-life. Well, how about an administration where it's come out this week, subsumed by so much other news, that Jeff Sessions deliberately wanted to separate children from parents? 
And it was a new thing, not an Obama thing. And they did it to, for punitive, deterrent reasons and for political reasons. And they lied about it. I mean, it is galling to hear this so-called pro-life administration. And we know that Trump only does it for expediency. Let's just circle back to Amy Coney Barrett. Do you think the Dems can stop her or is she a done deal? Well, I mean, if anything this past year has taught us is we don't know anything. (laughs) I mean, it can literally change from minute to minute. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett, you know, will, you know, we'll see. It turns out that her announcement event was a giant super spreader. Now, isn't that a sign from God? Right there. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg left some left some powerful energy. <laughs> and is anybody I, I didn't know until afterwards that she had suffered from COVID in the summer, did you? I didn't. And can you imagine being a mother of seven and having COVID in a house? How do you keep it from the children? I can't imagine. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's literal final wish was that a successor to her not be named until after the election. And it's become abundantly clear that 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 wish should have been honored. Right. But it isn't. And all seven kids were brought to the White House. Do you think they were screened? Do you think it was determined now which one of you had COVID and how long ago? And I'll tell you, as a parent and my youngest just turned 18, so I'm free anyway. When they were in elementary school, every year you get the cold that they bring home because kids are great transmitters. And there's Melania sitting next to the family. And it wasn't all outdoor. They had a couple of indoor receptions for her, too. And then for Trump to go the next day to Gold Star families and now to try to blame them. Anyway, we'll get to Donald Trump in a minute. But I do think there's something star-crossed about Amy Coney Barrett in this whole situation. Yeah, I there's there's something there that's the energy is is just not right. And now that the White House is refusing to do contact tracing, they don't even want to know right. what the problems are. I don't know if you saw two. You know, Lindsey Graham's in real trouble in South Carolina. I hope so. I sent money to his opponent. I never do stuff like that. Well, Jamie Harrison has challenged him to have a COVID test before their next debate, and Lindsay is refusing to do it. And let me put it this way. I don't think Lindsay wants to know if he's COVID positive before the Barrett hearing. Oh, boy. I hadn't thought about that. But I do think about if Amy Coney Barrett gets on the bench, Roe v. Wade's overturned, abortion yep. goes back to the states. Every race, every house race in Colorado, Wyoming, anywhere will boil down to abortion. And in Colorado, Democrats are going to win. Republicans are going to be extinct. Am I right? I Well, I'm old enough to remember that being pro-choice used to be a conservative position. It was a matter of, you know, respect for individual rights and government. You are, you are old. That was a long time ago. Well, but Colorado was the first state to allow safe legal abortion. With John Love, Republicans signing it. And it was a Republican legislature that did it. Of course, it had to be introduced by Dick Lamb in, what, 1967? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think Republican voters are ahead of Republican electeds. And I think that, you know, if Republican electeds come around to the position of, 
well, regardless of how I personally feel about this issue, this is not a place for government. I think they'll do fine. It's that Western libertarian streak. It's, it's uh, the pro-lifers have won the day. I don't see them losing sway in the GOP in Colorado, maybe in Massachusetts or Maryland, but not in Colorado, not with El Paso County still a part of us. Well, it. we'll, we'll see what happens on this election, but there can things can and do change. And I, I like to think, I mean, there are, most of the Republicans I know have gone unaffiliated because of Trump. And, you know, I like to think there's still some, you know, sensible middle of the road Republicans who. Well, right. They're called unaffiliated now. I'm unaffiliated. Right. Yeah. They're, they're unaffiliated. So we'll see what happens, but it's amazing what, you know, if, if things keep going the way they do, the election results can very much change the dynamics overall. But we'll see. I've made my feelings clear. I'm trying to get that hashtag going. You could help. You're so prolific. Repudiate Trump. That's what we need with this election. He needs to be repudiated. And I'm feeling more and more confident after Wednesday night. And we haven't even talked about the biggest woman star of the week that I can tell. <laughs> Kamala, Kamala Harris. Yeah. How do you think she did? Well, I mean, I'm I am highly biased because I think she's just absolutely marvelous, and she was my first pick in the presidential. But yeah, as we said, you know, Kamala was every woman who's ever been in a meeting with the male colleague who just will not shut up. You know, she's. I think we all need a T-shirt that says "I'm speaking" just to get that point across. I mean, it was Pence did a less loud version of what Trump did, but he still tried to, you know, filibuster and dominate the conversation. And Kamala had to, as a woman, you can't just look at him and, and if somebody did a column, I mean, Joe Biden could tell Donald Trump to shut up. Kamala Harris could not tell Mike Pence right. to shut up. Or call him a clown. No. She would never get away with but that. She but she has other powers. You know who she reminded me of the most powerful woman influence on TV when I was growing up? Do you know who that was? Uh, Oprah? Samantha Stevens. Elizabeth Montgomery in Bewitched. Uh, Did you ever watch Bewitched? This uh, before your time. But she was a housewife who was also given supernatural power. She could wiggle her nose and grant any wish. And do sneaky things. And she always did it for the benefit of her hapless husband, Darren, who was an ad exec. Anyway, <laughs> I thought about I thought about that just now with Kamala, because she had the same nice hairdo, soft hair, and a smile on her face. Elizabeth Montgomery was beautiful. I think Kamala is too. And she would occasionally just you know, scrunch up her nose, her eyes. I don't think it was that dramatic. I would have been more histrionic, but she made a fly appear on the head of Mike Pence for over two minutes while he was talking. It was unbelievable. You thought it was stuck in the hairspray or something. You worried about the fly getting COVID because Pence had a pink eye. Did you see that? Oh my God. I've occasionally woken up out of nowhere and had a situation like that. And once or twice I've had to be on TV. That is horrible. Do you think she inflicted those things on him? Sort of like Samantha and Bewitched? Yeah, I mean, I think, 
I mean, Senator Harris has has had to navigate many things through her career, and people forget. I mean, California is what the fifth largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. California is a country unto itself, and frankly, I can't imagine that Democratic Party politics. I mean, Senator Harris is the successor to my former boss, Barbara Boxer, and you know that negotiating you know negotiating politics in california is not for the faint of heart either i remember when senator harris ran when she ran for senate she basically was the first one out planted a flag and said come at me well you know who can relate to her only i lost she won she took on a popular incumbent democrat da she ran slightly to the right of him in san francisco and she managed to win I tried the same thing in 96, running a little to the right of Bill Ritter. I ran as an unaffiliated candidate and lost, and I don't know what happened to him. Oh, yeah, he became governor. But Bill and I are back to being friends. Kamala, having barely won that DA's race, squeaked by an AG election, too. But I admire her as a former prosecutor, and all this nonsense she doesn't care about law and order. She was the chief law enforcement officer for California. And Biden, he was the author of the crime bill. This is not Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I I think the law and order attack is going nowhere. Do you agree with that? And when she said racial justice and law and order can work together, I thought that was game, set, match in the debate. Yeah. No, I think that you know, Senator Harris has been has been navigating these spaces her whole career. And I have to say, as a fellow, I mean, there, there's some argument. I think she's a Gen Xer. You know, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm just thrilled to have, you know, someone who's who's in in my age bracket on the presidential ticket. We're sort of the forgotten generation. So I, I'm just I'm thrilled to have her there on that front. I'm a baby boomer. And. I don't know, is Trump a baby boomer right at the start? I don't want to be in the same category as him, but we have to talk about Trump. As we speak Friday, does he have the COVID? You know what he needs to do to make this 25th Amendment work? And I've been getting, I've been rocking that hashtag, although I didn't come up with it myself. But for five months, I've been saying 25th Amendment now. And honestly, if he called the cabinet meeting and said, everybody's come to this room, and leave your masks behind, maybe then we could get the necessary votes. But the way I read the law, it's pretty important to have the vice president on your side. And this cyborg Pence, I don't think he's going to go against Donald Trump, do you? No. And it is clear from Trump that everything to him is has always been about marketing. It's like, it is what I say it is. If I, if I say my stakes are the best of the best, if they I say my hotels are the best of the best and Trump can't BS his way through COVID. The virus doesn't care what your marketing is. It just is. And this is a crisis he can't control. He can't paper over. Pence does not have the, the wherewithal or the, the political allies to be able to manage the situation. And so we're just, I mean, this, this who, whole who thing. Does? And there has to be a certain Republican who would have the gravitas. I honestly think even right now, if Cory Gardner was smart, 
and he did go to CU Law School. At one time, I did think he was smart. He would realize he's going to get his ass kicked by Hickenlooper. He would say, I've seen cognitive diminishment. I'm concerned about the president. I can't mm-hmm. back him on this or that. Then he would be an American hero. I know he'd lose a lot of his friends, but he could make other friends like us. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think at some point you have to you have to pick country over party, yes. and we we have not seen Republicans, you know, who are in elected office willing to do that. I mean, it is pure tribalism and you know it's but that's the way watergate was until a few key senators went to nixon and said that's enough honestly if cory gardner got together with mitt romney and one or two others wouldn't it be over for trump yeah i think it, it very much would be and i think you know everybody in this country right now is just so exhausted we just we're worn out. We just like a sense of stability. We're tired of waking up every morning with, oh, my God, what did he say now? And, I mean, if if Republicans would just once plant a flag and say, I want the American public to understand that we have a functional government, they would do themselves a lot of good and, and you know, would at least repair their legacy a little bit. But at this point, it's... You know, they're just going to let the country careen out of control until we elect Joe Biden. Right. And allow a president to encourage groups like the Proud Boys. And whether you call them the Proud Boys, the Groypers, Boogaloo Boys, they all were part of that Unite the Right at Charlottesville, which was the start of a lot of these things. I haven't talked to you, Laura, since that Proud Boys comment. I think you can tie that directly to what happened to Gretchen Whitmer. And she said it as well. She said, I hold the president responsible. He's encouraged these groups. He said, stand back and stand by. That is complicity. And boy, that's a strong word in the criminal law. That means you are just as responsible as an accomplice for the people who are committing these acts. Do you hold the president that responsible? Absolutely. It starts at the top. You are known by who you encourage and what you say. And I mean, the, and, and you and I very much agree on this. Trump's language is very much that of domestic abusers. I mean, he went on Twitter last night and basically told Gretchen Whitmer, why aren't you more grateful? Wow. Which, you know, that is textbook domestic abuser. Why aren't you more grateful for my FBI bailing you out? of the kidnapping plot that my words incited. Exactly. Thank God for those U.S. attorneys. I'm proud of them. I'm going to learn more about them. But they had to be appointed by Trump. And for them to expose this plot that makes him look bad, I just am scared for our country. And God knows what will happen in the next three or four weeks. I don't think he will let it go to an election. I've seen guys like this, uh, people on the golf course who will walk off the course, not show up, rip up the scorecard, yeah. put it in, in like a board game where somebody who's losing just flips over the board. I think he's going to try to do something like that. I got into this business because I, you know, I care about public service and I am still optimistic enough 
to think that the American people have it within their power to change things. I mean, as ugly as Trumpism is, it is a minority. It's a minority of a minority. And and part of the reason they're so ugly is because they know there's more of us, there's more decent people, and they are scared. And they are doing this because they are scared. And we just have to to come out in, you know, just huge, overwhelming numbers. And as you said, repudiate Trump, repudiate everything he stands for, stand up for decency, say that our country diversity is strength, whether you're black or Jewish or female or Muslim or whatever else, that that our country is made better by by the strength of, of who we are. And I think we can do that, and I have faith that we can do that. I hope so. I'm worried it ends like Scarface, where the guy knows he's going to jail. He's got a lot of weaponry. He's out of his mind. Donald Trump is out of his mind right now, and he's got all the weaponry in the world. So God help us. Lord Chapin, you are great to speak to about stuff like this. So well-informed, so interesting. Tell everybody how they can track you on social media. Well, they can follow me on my personal feed, and I want to emphasize it is my personal feed, at Laura Chapin. L-A-U-R-A-C-H-A-P-I-N. At Laura Chapin. And please, everyone, vote no on 115. Thank you, Laura Chapin. Thank you for having me. It's been great. My pleasure. See you down the road. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. When we talk about medical directives, what sort of qualities are we looking for there? You're looking for somebody who cares about you, somebody who wants to take care of you, but also somebody who's not afraid of making that decision because, you know, bad things might happen. You know, if if you have a, a son or a daughter who, you know, absolutely, you know, is the stereotypical mama's boy and can't imagine anything bad ever happening to his mom and then suddenly has to make a decision about what kind of surgery mom needs to have or, you know, are we going to, what treatment option are we going to have for mom and paralyzed by, oh no, I can't have anything bad happen to mom. Not the right person. So you want somebody who can look at a situation, still loves their, still loves the person, but is able to do, do what's right and do what's necessary for your parents or for whoever you have that you're acting on behalf of. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Hey there, I'm not going to take a lot of your time. I've been a lawyer almost 40 years. My brother was a lawyer, my father a Denver lawyer, my grandfather a Denver lawyer. If you have a legal problem, call me, 303-861-2800, 303-861-2800. If I'm not the right lawyer for you, I bet I know somebody who is. 303-861-2800. Thank you. Now back to the Craig Silverman Show. What a day, what a world, what a life, what a week. Another bad week for Donald J. Trump. Although, as I predicted with Brian Stelter, maybe he was going to be the miracle child. And he would act like Bolsonaro. COVID is no big deal. And maybe it's not to Donald J. Trump. 
but it is to me, and I think it's affecting his brain. He has a technical condition that a Yiddish doctor would diagnose as Meshuggah. The guy is Meshuggah, which brings us to this week's episode of Impactful Sound. I like this segment because I think it's quirky, and I hope you do too. I wish Donald Trump was just being quirky when he said this to Sean Hannity on Thursday night. Look at where California is going to have to ration water. You know why? Because they send millions of gallons of water out to sea, out to the Pacific, because they want to take care of certain little tiny fish that aren't doing very well without water, to be honest with you. But uh, it's uh, it's a very sad thing that's happening. It's no common sense. No wonder he's given so much money to the black colleges. A mind, a human mind, is a terrible thing to waste. And Donald Trump's brain is wasting away. Whether it's the medication, age, or some combination thereof, it doesn't matter to me. As my late father, Sheldon, would have said, if he was a bad relief pitcher at a Rockies game, get him out of there. Now Trump is back to this bullshit about COVID being no big deal. When we know he lied in the past, remember what he said to Bob Woodward first week of February? I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. You just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. Why couldn't he treat the American public with the dignity and the respect that he treated Bob Woodward, his contemporary? I thought Kamala Harris did fine in the debate. And one of her better moments was when she asked for Trump and Pence to respect the American people insofar as this pandemic is concerned. Let's talk about respecting the American people. You respect the American people when you tell them the truth. You respect the American people when you have the courage Which we've to be a leader done. speaking of those things that you may not want people to hear, but they need to hear so they can protect themselves. But this administration stood on information that if you had as a parent, if you had as a worker knowing you didn't have enough money saved up, and now you're standing in a food line because of the ineptitude of an administration that was unwilling to speak the truth to the American people. So let's talk about caring about the American people. The American people have had to sacrifice far too much because of the incompetence of this administration. And the former prosecutor from California scored big again when she got a question from moderator Susan Page, who asked Mike Pence a question, but he would not answer. The key for any presidency in largest part, well, maybe not largest, but in big part is to model good behavior. Wear a damn mask, just like Jared Polis said. Vice President Pence, you were in the front row in a Rose Garden event 11 days ago at what seems to have been a super spreader event for senior administration and congressional officials. No social distancing, few masks, and now a cluster of coronavirus cases among those who were there. How can you expect Americans to follow the administration's safety guidelines to protect themselves from COVID when you at the White House have not been doing so? Well, the American people have demonstrated over the last eight months 
that when given the facts, they're willing to put the health of their families and their neighbors and people they don't even know first. President Trump and I have great confidence in in the American people and, and their ability to take that information and put it into practice. Now Kamala Harris goes in for the kill. And I think Trump Pence is dead as a campaign. They blew it with COVID. A government takeover of health care. Thank you. Thank you. The Green New Deal, all government control. We're about freedom and respecting the freedom of the American people. Let's talk about respecting the American people. You respect the American people when you tell them the truth. You respect the American people when you have the courage to be a leader speaking of those things that you may not want people to hear, but they need to hear. So how did they fire back? They falsely claimed victory. Trump won big against Biden in the debate. Pence won big. It's an alternate universe. Whatever they say, take the opposite to be true. And the projection is immense, especially as Donald Trump goes on with Maria Bartiromo, who used to come on the radio with me, the money honey. And I thought she was nice and smart, but she sold her soul to Donald J. Trump. And she allowed him to say this on her Fox Business show the day after the debate of VP candidates. Oh, she's a communist. She's not a socialist. She's well beyond a socialist. Take a look at her views. She wants to open up the borders to allow killers and murderers and rapists to pour into our country. We have the tightest borders we've ever had right now. I have the wall is up to 350 miles long. It'll be finished very soon. It's had a tremendous impact. What kind of ass calls a woman a monster? accuses her of being a communist. Boy, did he learn at the feet of Roy Cohn, who worked at the feet of Joe McCarthy. Donald Trump went on Rush Limbaugh, big part of the problem, talk radio. Limbaugh, the king of talk radio. And then he allows Trump to spew this nonsense about the real criminals being the Democrats who should be locked up for treason. Are you kidding me? Locking up political opponents? It was announced by the attorney general that uh, his investigator, um, the uh, the attorney looking into the uh, the coup run against you, will not have any announcements, any results, any before the election. Uh, this is disappointing. I cannot tell you. When was this announced, Rush? I think I've got the story here in the snack. I thought it was. Uh, I think it's terrible. Fairly I recently, terrible. that uh, I think it's terrible. Well, it we is, because these are these are people, this is the biggest political scandal in the history of yeah. this country, certainly our lifetimes. If that's the case, I, I'm very disappointed. I think it's a terrible thing, and I'll say it to his face. Here it is. Bartels Republicans Durham report will not be ready by election. It came out today. That's a disgrace. I think it's a disgrace. It's an embarrassment. Well, I don't have the words to express my anger. And then, of course, Trump ridicules the GOP. They're not tough enough. Where else do you hear that with that talk show host from Denver who hates the Republicans but loves Donald Trump? I speak of Peter Boyles, a destructive force if there ever was one. I've had to go through it twice now with elections, and yet they have. See, this is what I mean with the Republicans. They don't play the tough game. They don't play the tough game. If this were the other side, you would have had 25 people in jail for the rest of their lives with what we found. Oh, you tried something like this against any of them? Heck yes. And now an instant classic. Maybe if you have kids in the car and you are streaming this, turn it down. Because Donald Trump, who went on the air and said the F word here, 
unaware of how stupid he's sounding, and because he's mentally ill, had to say repeatedly about having to beat off. Oh, are you kidding me? You would have been 20. Look at me. I had to beat off. I had to beat off the phony Mueller report. I had to beat off all this stuff. I had to beat off impeachment. I had to beat off Congress, everything else. They then send it to New York, which is all political. They send it into New York, the same stuff into New York. They have to beat that off. You know, they got New York all over. Uh, they, they don't stop. This is a disgrace. If that just came out, and, you know, I purposely tried to stay away from it because they all say it would be better if I'm not involved. And then to take the cake, there's a sheriff in Michigan, but he could be Sheriff Steve Reams from Weld County or that guy in Fort Collins. We've got some wacky right-wing sheriffs. When these militia guys got arrested by the federales and the Michigan AG charged with his plot to kidnap and maybe kill Gretchen Whitmer. The sheriff up there who shared a stage with them, does that sound familiar? He had this to say to the local Fox affiliate. Do you have any regrets from being on stage, sharing stage with the guy who's now being charged in a plot to kidnap the governor? Well, it's just a charge, and they say a plot to kidnap. And you got to remember that, are they trying to kidnap? Because a lot of people are angry with the governor. And... Uh, they want her arrested. So are they trying to arrest or was it a kidnap attempt? Because you can still, in Michigan, if it's a felony, you can make a felony arrest. And I think it's MCL 764.4, something like that, 0.5, somewhere on there. And uh, it doesn't say if you're an elected office that you're exempt from that arrest. So you know, I have to look at it from that angle. And I'm, I'm hoping that's more what it is. In fact, they, these guys are innocent until proven guilty. So I'm not even sure if they had any part in it. I like Gretchen Whitmer. My heart goes out to her. She is the victim here. I've never really spent time in Michigan, and I'm not sure I want to, but I like the way the governor carries herself and what she had to say right here. Good afternoon. Earlier today, Attorney General Dana Nessel was joined by officials from the Department of Justice and the FBI to announce state and federal charges against 13 members of two militia groups were preparing to kidnap and possibly kill me. When I put my hand on the Bible and took the oath of office 22 months ago, I knew this job would be hard. But I'll be honest, I never could have imagined anything like this. And here is where I think Governor Whitmer puts herself on the national stage. She talks about how COVID should have brought us together, but for, dare I say, the monster-in-chief, Donald J. Trump, who she accuses of complicity. And that will play out in my discussion with lawyers because that's a legal term. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Impactful Sound. Follow The Craig Silverman Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at C. Silverman Show. And subscribe to The Craig Silverman Show podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, don't quit on democracy. Be a part of this historic moment. Connect with us on social media at C. Silverman Show. In my practice of law, Michael Bailey, decisions are often left to a personal representative. God forbid a person gets killed. That's an important decision you can make ahead of time. Who is going to be your personal representative? What is your advice in that regard? So you want to pick somebody as a personal representative who has several qualities. 
Number one, you want them to kind of have a good sense of financial stuff and and matters like that, so they can they can deal with that. You know, I have a friend who's really really good and really really smart, and is scared to death to fill out a tax form because they don't quite just the finances don't make sense to them. So you don't want to pick that type of person. You want to pick somebody who can understand finances. You want to pick somebody who's trustworthy, who will carry out your decisions. And if you can do it, you want to pick somebody who's not afraid of people not liking them or getting their feelings hurt. Now back to the Craig Silverman Show. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. What a day, what a life, what a world where a young man can grow up, become a trial lawyer, a young prosecutor, aspired to lead his own office. I had that kind of dream. So did Brian Mason. Brian Mason is a chief deputy DA in Adams County. Now he's in a race to become the elected DA. Hey, how are you, Brian? Craig, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's great to be here. Well, before you can come into Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, tell us if you really are a lawyer, how you became one, and why. I really am a lawyer, although strangely enough, I've never really considered myself one. But yeah, I actually had my first introduction to the power of the law to make a difference in the world when I was a college student. I went to a small school in Ohio called Kenyon College and wrote my senior honors thesis on Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall, of course, was the first African-American to be a Supreme Court justice, but in many ways, more importantly, he was the head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund that tried the case, the Brown v. Board of Education, that got rid of separate but equal. And he was honestly my first inspiration to become a lawyer. And I still have his portrait up in my office. Do you have any other lawyers in your family? I don't. I'm the first one. It was definitely not something that I, I didn't grow up talking to lawyers. I didn't grow up expecting to be a lawyer, but here I am. Where did you grow up? Did you matriculate at a local high school? I did. I went to Heritage High School in Littleton. I'm originally from Aurora, although I should say I was born in Germany. My dad was stationed in Germany in the Air Force. So both my brother and I were born there. But my parents had met in Colorado. They went to UNC in Greeley. My mom had grown up in Denver. And we moved back to Colorado when I was two. And I grew up in Aurora. Went to Jewel Elementary and Century Elementary in Aurora. We moved across town when I was in eighth grade to Littleton. And and like I said, I graduated from Heritage High School. Nice. And then you got a big job at the White House. Tell everybody about that. I did. I did. So it actually connects back to that college experience. When I was writing that senior honors thesis, my honors advisor, professor, called me into his office and in May or April of the year that I graduated. And he said, how's your job search going? And I was offended because I'd been up till two o'clock in the morning working on a new draft for him. And I said, I don't have a job search. Uh, And he said, well, I have a former student who works in the Clinton White House and they're looking for they're looking for a new staff member to join them. Are you interested? What year was that? So it was 1998. So the last I worked in the Clinton White House during the last two and a half years of the Clinton administration. And I was right in the East Wing and West Wing 
and it was a dream job for a kid like me. I still can't believe I had that opportunity. It was awesome. I don't know if it's still a dream job. We might get to that. It's more like a hot spot. But how exciting. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. It was great for me, Van. I, you know, Craig, I grew up with sort of a fascination about presidents. You know, when my friends had pictures of athletes on their wall and don't get me wrong, I was a big John Elway fan. I had posters of John F. Kennedy. And I used to go to the Denver Mint every year with my folks and buy one of those little presidential coins. It was just my hobby. And I could name all the presidents from Washington to Reagan. So by the time I was Wait, in graduate, order. Yeah, but don't test me on that. It's been a long How time. Fast? But yes. I uh, won't do it. <laughs> but as a kid, I could. So working at the White House was really, it really was a dream job uh, for me. Wow. We always wondered as we worked as frontline prosecutors in the Denver City and County Building, and we would see the lines form on, what is that, Cherokee between the courthouse and the Mint. And we'd say, wow, what is it in the Mint that would cause somebody to stand in line and wait to go in? But it's the money. And I would use it in my voir dire. And uh, voir dire jury selection, Brian's a trial attorney, and you can't do this in Adams County so much. But I would say, here we are in this beautiful New Deal structure, city and county building, my favorite building in all of Colorado. And then to the west of us, do you know what that building is? And somebody will raise their hand. They'll say, well, that's the mint. I said, well, what do they make there? And somebody would say, well, they make money. I said, good, good. You get an A. This building (laughs) just to the east of us with the gold dome. Do you know what they make there? Maybe you'll get kind of a smart ass answer, but eventually it's the laws, the very laws that we're using in this courtroom. And here we are in beautiful courtroom 17 at the Denver City and County Building. What do you think we should make here? And you know the right answer, Brian. What is it? Well, in the courtroom, you're there to seek justice. Yes. And that's that's our job. And isn't that a beautiful thing about being a prosecutor? I'm jealous of you. I was a prosecutor for 16 years, and what a great gig to just be duty-bound to do justice. Is that the way a Brian Mason DA's office would run? It's certainly the way that I will run it, yes. It's certainly the way that I approach my job. I've said as a candidate for DA, and I say it to the young prosecutors that I teach and mentor at the office, our job is to do the right thing in every case, no matter what. And having the the opportunity and the, the discretion to do the right thing in every case is an enormous power, but also an enormous gift to be able to seek justice in that way. It really is. Tell us about the race that's for, well, Let's back up a little bit because we left you at the White House. That was before law school, right? It was. Yep. I worked in the the Clinton White House right out of college. So I was there, like I said, the last two and a half years of the administration. And then after the election of 2000, I turned off the lights in the East and West Wings at 11 o'clock the night before the Bush inauguration. And then I, I took two weeks off to try to decompress a little bit. And then I worked up on Capitol Hill for a senior member of Congress whose name was Pete Stark. And I worked for him for a year and a half. And then I applied for and got a fellowship to 
go to Germany for a year, and I was an American fellow in the German foreign ministry and the German Bundestag, or their parliament, which was a phenomenal experience and gave me some foreign policy experience, which, which was really fascinating to me. I also, since I'd been born in Germany when my dad was in the Air Force, had always wanted to go back and have the experience of living there as an adult. So that was that was pretty amazing. And then I came home. At that point, I, I, I really did want to come serve my own home state. And so I came back in 2003 and went to law school at the University of Colorado Law School. No finer place. I, I love Agreed. to see your law school. How about you? Oh, it's uh, a phenomenal institution, which I am devoted to and dearly love. I had no idea at that point when I started. I started in 78 at CU Law School, went in with a guy named Bill Ritter, who's now endorsing you. He has. That's cool. I didn't know I had any interest in criminal law. My dad was a lawyer. His dad was a lawyer. But nobody had been a prosecutor or anything like that. I heard some people come and address our criminal procedure, criminal law classes, and I said, this sounds exciting, better than the other classes. I loved evidence. What about you? What turned you on to prosecution? You know, I had a similar experience and and perhaps even slightly different. When I went to law school, I didn't even intend to practice law. I had chosen to go to law school because I wanted to go to grad school and I wanted to stay involved in, in public policy, but I wasn't even sure that I wanted to be a lawyer. And even when some of my colleagues, uh, the very first week of our 1L year, were already worried about the bar exam, I wasn't sure that I would even take it. But three years later, I was just really sold on the power of the law and the majesty of the law. But I didn't know I was going to be a DA. And in many ways, that kind of happened by just good fortune and circumstance. I was recruited right out of law school by two people. The first was Mark Udall who was then a U.S. congressman. It was before he was a U.S. senator. He was looking for somebody to go back to D.C. and run his D.C. office, and I was a candidate for that position. And then the other person was Don Quick, and Don Quick was the elected district attorney in Adams and Broomfield counties. And he had met me at a different function and kind of took me under his wing and said, I think you should give this a try. You can really make a powerful impact on your community as a DA. And I decided to give it a shot. And and I even when I joined the DA's office, Craig, I couldn't have predicted that I would have stayed as long as I have. And I certainly wouldn't have predicted that I'd be running for DA now. But the truth is I fell in love with the job and I just really felt fulfilled by the work that we do. And that's why I stayed. And that's certainly one of the reasons why I'm running. I know Don Quick. He's now a judge. He was yes. once a special prosecutor on a case where I had to be a witness. So we got to know really? each other that way, too. Yes, Don and I go way back. But I want to talk about you. And Don Quick, he got term limited, or maybe he ran for AG. I can't remember which. Or probably both. Both, right? both. yep. He was term limited. And then after, after he left his elected position as DA, he ran for attorney general. Right. And then Dave Young succeeded Don Quick? He did. And now you're looking to succeed Dave Young, who's not running again. Who is your competition? So I'm the Democratic nominee for DA. 
in, we call it the 17th Judicial District, but that's Adams and Broomfield counties. My Republican opponent's name is Tim McCormick. And I need to know one thing about Mr. McCormick. Is he a Trump supporter? You know, I can't speak for him, but I I can tell you that he's he's certainly a conservative Republican in my experience. And last year when we still had the county fair, his poster was prominently displayed in front of the Trump poster at the Republican booth. Interesting. So, Do you know all you my can, connections to Adams County? You bring up the Adams County Fairgrounds and my brother may rest in peace, Bill. He was a past president of the Adams County Bar Association, and my brother, Bill, who was a great real estate lawyer, had his wedding reception at the Adams County Fairgrounds with his beautiful wife, Julie, who is still a great Colorado lawyer. So how about that for Adams County history? Isn't that something? The fairgrounds are beautiful. I honestly didn't realize they held weddings there. What a spectacular wedding place for a wedding. It was held at a synagogue, and then we had the reception at the Adams County Fairgrounds. It was That's wonderful. Spectacular. It's a great spot. It was, it was of, of the many things that we have missed out on during this pandemic. I was really sad that we couldn't have a fair this year because the, the county fair is, is really fun. And a great opportunity, honestly, right. as a candidate to meet people and talk to people about our campaigns. I think you're in good shape. I don't know anything about Mr. McCormick or your race, but I know Adams County. Well, you tell me, isn't it? Republicans aren't the predominant affiliation out there, are they? What's the breakdown? Republicans, Democrats, and unaffiliated? Yeah, the breakdown actually mirrors the state of Colorado pretty well. In Adams and Broomfield, for that matter, we have a third registered Democrats, a third registered Republican, and a third independent. So the elections really get, get decided by the independents. And certainly I have to turn out my base. And I'm, of course, reaching out to everybody, Democrats, Republicans, and independents. Well, that's good. Because, it, you know, when I ran in 1996 against Bill Ritter, my platform was politics and prosecution are a poor mix. Do you agree with that? Of course, I agree with that. The position of district attorney is you have to achieve the job through a political process. It is an elected position. And certainly any elected official must reflect the values of that community. But decisions made by a prosecutor have to be based on the law and the evidence. And that's our solemn oath. And that's certainly what I will do. Right. And you may say, good, Craig, you just said you're not going to vote for Brian's opponent because he's a Trump supporter. But to me, that's a matter of judgment. And I don't want a prosecutor who has the bad judgment to back the president that I'm watching right now. You don't need to comment on that, Brian, but I just wanted to defend myself Back when I ran in 1996, I ran it as an unaffiliated candidate. I think we are the majority in Colorado now. I'm not sure about in the 17th JD. But I think you are going to win because Trump is toxic in Colorado. And I watched it happen in Arapahoe County and Adams County two years ago. Didn't that happen? There was a blue wave, blue tsunami that blew through suburban Denver. Am I right? Yes, and it definitely blew through Adams County. We had a number of Republican office holders in Adams County in 2018. The clerk and recorder was a Republican elected official. The sheriff was a Republican official. 
The assessor uh, was a Republican, all of whom ran for re-election and, and lost. So it was definitely a blue wave here. So all you have to do is sit at your computer, do Zoom. Are you even wearing pants these days? I'm doing my card <laughs> hearings, you know, with I'm dressed well from my torso, but I try not to show anything else. It's weird practicing law right now, isn't it, Brian? Yeah, it's bizarre in some ways. And I think seven months ago, eight months ago, we would never have been able to to predict or even conceive of how we are now practicing law. But I, I just appeared this morning online, in court, virtually on a homicide case. And I did it in a coat and tie, at least from the waist up, mm-hmm. f- from home in front of my computer. And that's pretty remarkable. And in many ways, I think amazing that we've been able to keep the criminal justice system running as best as we can, even during a global pandemic. Because as you well know, Craig, certain things can shut down, but constitutional rights don't get shut down. And when somebody is accused of a crime and they get arrested, they have a right to a bail hearing. And we can't just keep people locked up without giving them their constitutional rights, even in a pandemic. And I, I think we've had some glitches along the way, but overall, I think the criminal justice system has worked really hard to, to try to stay open and functional. What about a defendant's right to speedy trial? How can you accommodate that now? Speedy is, is a really challenging issue for us. And as you know, and just for your listeners, Every defendant has the right under the U.S. and state constitutions to what's called a speedy trial. And so when a defendant pleads not guilty in the state of Colorado, our statutory speedy clock that we call it is six months. So typically when someone pleads not guilty, we have to get that case to trial within six months. That has been very challenging under the pandemic, and the Colorado Supreme Court has promulgated new rules on that because it wasn't safe. It was literally not safe to bring jurors in in the month of June or July, or at least in Adams County in August either. So speedy trial rights have been expanded and extended, I should say, during the pandemic. And and that, that remains a challenge. Are there jury trials really happening in Adams County now? There are. Um, We started doing jury trials in September. That was the first time we had done any since March. But there is there's a trial going on right now, even as we speak. I think we've done I think we've done five jury trials in the last three or four weeks, which is pretty impressive. How about in Broomfield? Broomfield has had trials going as well. In fact, Broomfield started trials in the month of August. It's a challenging time. What about campaigning? Can you do that by Zoom? Well, we're trying. Yeah, I spend, I just spend a whole lot of time as everybody does these days in front of a computer on a Zoom or a WebEx uh, screen. And certainly a pan- the pandemic has changed how all candidates of either party or all parties are campaigning. We do a lot via Zoom. We're doing a lot more via phone, like phone banking and texting. And that's, it's really, it's really hard to know how effective that's been. I don't think we're going to know until election day. Well, give out your website while you're here and while we're talking about this. Oh, you're nice to ask. Um, My website is www.briannason.us. And now I'm not so nice because I ask you tough questions like, 
controversial deaths that have happened in the 17th, the Petraco matter, is that closed? Is it done? Will you reopen it? Yeah. And, and candidly, Craig, I, I don't speak about cases that are potentially still pending. Okay. Um, Fair enough. And so Same I, with Elijah I can't McClain. comment on same on the Elijah McClain case. I, I will certainly say this. It's a tragedy that Kate Petraco died, and Elijah McClain did not deserve to die. And he was a bright young man with a promising future, and his death was a tragedy. And the outrage about it is justified. But as you know, there are several investigations right now, including one in the Attorney General's office, and because of that, I'm, I'm ethically not permitted to comment on it. I do know that. But that case in particular, Elijah McClain, the most natural place to make a charging decision would be within the 17th Judicial District. Phil Weiser has been a guest on the podcast. We talked about it. He's been given special prosecution responsibilities by the governor. And the feds are also investigating this significant event that tragically happened August before last. But back to a prosecution, who, who are your prosecutorial role models? Well, you've named one of them. Bill Ritter is one of my role models. I met with Bill Ritter for the first time right after I graduated from law school and he was running for governor. And he graciously took an hour of his time when I was asked to meet with him, even though he was running for governor, and sat down with me and talked to me and encouraged me to to go to the DA's office in Adams County. And his high ethical standard has always been a model for me. My other real role model was, in addition to Don, who hired me, was Mike Goodby. Mike Goodby was our second in command when I was hired at the DA's office. He later went on to be a district court judge. He was an elected DA in the fifth judicial district. And he really taught me what it meant to be an ethical prosecutor. I think there's great history in Adams County. I got to know Bob Grant pretty well. Back when we were both chief deputies doing uh, death penalty prosecutions, he went on to be the elected DA. What is the lineage? Can you count it off the way you can with presidents? Can you go back from Dave Young, Don Quick, see how far back you can go? I don't think I have that memorized quite as well, but certainly Bob Grant was the DA right before Don, then Don, then Dave. All of the DA's pictures hang up, are hung up, I should say, in, in our office, but I couldn't rattle their names off. Well, order, remember correctly. this I'm one. Sorry. There was a guy named Marvin Dansky, who was quite a character. It was the DA in Adams County when I was a kid, and then I ended up being great friends in the Denver DA's office with his son, David Dansky, who's still a great Denver lawyer. So remember the Dansky name. I will remember that. Thank you for saying that. What about the Trump name? Can you talk about him? Because I'm so worried about the rule of law and what's going on in our society, the divisiveness. And I pin it at the feet of the president. I think he's a fair issue in every race. And I'm so upset with the Republicans backing his play. Because, okay, say you're pro-life. I get it. He's appointing the judges you like, but can't you find somebody better to advance that position? Somebody who won't ruin America? And I'm going to write a column for the Colorado Sun. And I'm just thinking of the times I did the Daily Docket in 
the Denver City and County Building and the prisoners come in and some are going through mental distress and it's obvious. And I turn to one of my colleagues, maybe David Dansky, and say, hey, that guy's not faking. Because some people are malingering. But you know what I mean, right, Brian? Some people I do. are going through terrible mental problems and I'm worried the president is one of them. Do you want to talk I, about that at all? Or? I, I think Donald Trump is fair game in, in the election. I, and yeah, I'm happy to talk about him. And the two things that most impact me, I think, as a as a DA candidate and the DA in, and an attorney, but also just as a citizen, is the attack on truth yes. is staggering and devastating to me. I can tell you, I am a Democrat. I am proud to be a Democrat. And if Jeb Bush had been the nominee in 2016 or Marco Rubio had been the nominee and they had beat Hillary Clinton fair and square, I would have been very disappointed. But I wouldn't have looked at either of those two leaders in the White House and thought that I was ashamed by their leadership or ashamed at where they were taking our country in terms of our stature in the world. Nor do I think, despite our political differences, that they would have led a consistent attack on truth and undermined the foundations of our democracy. And Donald Trump has done that since day one. I mean, it is frightening to me that the president of the United States is saying out loud that he may not accept the outcome of an election. That is unprecedented in United States history and goes to the foundation of our democracy. And to hear a president say that over and over again is astounding to me and deeply frightening. And how about him threatening his political opponent? You have power. You're a chief deputy in a major jurisdiction. You would never threaten to arrest your political opponent, let alone for a capital offense like treason. But that's just what Donald Trump did last night on Hannity, talking about Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden. Plus, he called Kamala Harris a monster and a communist. This is beyond the pale, isn't it, Brian? It's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. And any person in public life of integrity should be able to condemn that without hesitation. And that also is one of the things that truly concerns me as an American, is the degree to which people in the Republican Party have capitulated and enabled this kind of conduct. Because it has consequences. It has real consequences. And I worry, even if Joe Biden is elected, and I hope that he is, along with Kamala Harris, I worry about the repair work that needs to be done in our society because of the damage that has been done over the last four years. Well, the problem is Donald Trump, and it will continue to exist with Donald Trump. I don't wish anybody ill health, but Donald Trump is the cause of the divisiveness. And I'm worried, especially not only won't he accept the results of the election, he's already said if he doesn't win, it's rigged, but he activated right-wing extremists with that proud boy, stand back and stand by. Could you believe that? 
and it's again, it's outrageous. And I said earlier that the two things that impact me the most as as a person in the prosecution community community is one, the attack on truth. But like you said, the second is the attack on the rule of law. And, you know, Donald Trump uses this phrase of law and order and he throws it out there as if he's, you know, for the rule of law. Well, the phrase law and order, if you dig deeper into it, actually has some racist past to it. The phrase law and order was used by the segregationists in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s to implement some policies that were very much anti-African American. And yet he uses it with, it's just kind of like the phrase he used whenever that was several weeks ago, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. It's like I mean, when that's a, dangerous. Yes. It's, that's dangerous rhetoric. And, and that also, of course, has racist undertones. But yes, to your question, the dog whistle of stand back and stand by, literally giving oxygen to the air of white supremacy coming from the president of the United States, that truly undermines the rule of law in our society and should be roundly condemned. Absolutely. And then you couple that with his attacks on the media, enemy of the people, part of his attack on truth. And the consequences are severe. There are not two sides of that kind of issue. This needs to be condemned by all people and it's frightening. Who's that opponent of yours, McCormick, the Republican? I like you, Brian, but if he would be a courageous Republican and call me up and say, I want to announce my opposition to Donald Trump because I'm fed up with it and I'm a conservative Republican, isn't that the kind of courage we need? It is. I mean, we need people like Senator Flake, former Senator Flake. We need of, Cory Gardner. Arizona. I know Cory Gardner. He went to CU Law School like both of us. How do you not know Donald Trump's a bad guy and yet still be, uh, it appalls me that anybody who graduated from CU Law could not see the truth here. It appalls me as well. Let me ask you this. I'm glad you engaged on Donald Trump. Two things might get tied up in your office. What about election violations? Does your office enforce those laws and what kind of plans do you have in place? The DA's office is the in charge of enforcing criminal law, right? So if somebody breaks the law and it's one of our criminal statutes, then it would come in front of our office. And yes, if there were if there was an allegation of somebody stealing a ballot or fraudulently signing a ballot or turning over someone's ballot that didn't belong to them illegally, then that would that would certainly come into our jurisdiction. I will say, and I think you probably already know this, the myth that there is widespread voter fraud is just that. It's a myth. It's terrible. We have the gold standard. Jenna Griswold has been a guest. Universal mail balloting works beautiful. My wife and I get ours and we get a chance to study it at our kitchen table and then take it to a Dropbox. But meanwhile, Republicans like Greg Abbott in Texas are saying one Dropbox per county. Are you kidding me? Well, and that unfortunately is another example of degradation of the Republican Party in the Trump years, in my opinion. No political party should be about voter suppression. 
every political party should want to discuss their agenda, talk about their vision, and then persuade, persuade people to get behind it. But no political party should ever want to suppress the vote. And that's what Republicans are doing by saying things like the governor of Texas limiting the places where you can turn in a ballot. That is just voter suppression. And I want to step back for one second about the mail-in ballot. There's this myth again that President Trump has tried to put out there that mail-in ballots favor Democrats and unfairly hurt Republicans. That's just objectively not true. Six years ago, the incumbent United States senator was Mark Udall, a Democrat, who I supported and, like I said, almost went to work for, and he lost to Cory Gardner in a mail-in ballot state. So Republicans and Democrats win and lose with mail-in ballots. This notion that they are unfair to one side is just simply false. I sort of like that, Cory Gardner. He called Donald Trump a buffoon. Remember that? I do remember that, yes. I do, too. You don't see that anymore. And now the other thing that I never had to deal with as a prosecutor, but perhaps you might, enforcing these public health orders. What's going on there? And have you had any cases in that regard? I haven't seen any of those cases in our office so far. I think what's been happening to this point when there have been violations, people have been given warnings. And that's appropriate. I, I don't want to have to charge or prosecute somebody for not following public health guidelines. But I'll say this, Craig, back on on Donald Trump, it is absolutely unconscionable to me that basic health standards, like wearing a mask during a pandemic, has become a partisan issue. I don't understand that. And that is truly because of Donald Trump. If he, from the beginning, When his own experts, Dr. Fauci and others, said to protect one another, we have to wear masks. If he had worn one, this just wouldn't be an issue and and fewer people would have died. So why why that is a political issue, I will never understand. Oh, it's the rugged individualism of this Park Avenue, you know, so-called billionaire who doesn't pay taxes. My contempt for him knows no bounds. But let's look at it as experienced prosecutors. You are one. I used to be one, and I still work with the criminal justice system. I worry this is going to end like Scarface, where you have a fugitive who knows he's about to get locked up, prosecuted by a smart dude like you, and he has a lot of weaponry. He's not mentally well, and he goes out in a blaze of glory. And I'm worried about the president. Nancy Pelosi introduced a commission idea on the 25th Amendment. This is a perilous moment for the United States. Am I right? I think it is perilous. I I really do. I think this is, in my lifetime at least, the most serious threat to our democracy that we've ever had. And I don't say that lightly. And if you win, and I think you will, good luck on that. Thank you. I I think it's going to be a tough time to be a chief law enforcement officer in the 17th. What will you do to try to bring people together? Do you think people in your jurisdiction can work it out, especially if Donald Trump isn't president? I do. I have a lot of faith in the people of Colorado. I have a lot of faith in the people of 
Adams and Broomfield counties. This is my home. This is where I live. It's where I'm raising my family. But you're certainly right to say that it's a big job. And we have a significant trust deficit right now between law enforcement and the communities that we serve. And it will be a big part of my job to try to rebuild that trust. I do think we can do it. Certainly, I'm running for district attorney for two main reasons. One is to protect my community, the community that I serve and live in. But the other is to make the criminal justice system better. And if there's one thing that I would love for your listeners to remember from this interview, it's this. Protecting the community and making our criminal justice system better are not mutually exclusive. Those two goals go hand in hand. And that's certainly what I pledge to do if I get elected. And another veteran prosecutor said that this week, Kamala Harris, law and order and racial justice, they can go together with a good prosecutor. I think you will be a good prosecutor, Brian. You are already, but I think you're going to get the top job. Good luck in the rest of the race. Really appreciate your time in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Thank you, Craig. It was a pleasure to be with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. This is the Craig Silverman Show, and I'm Craig. Our democracy is at stake. It's never been more important to let your voice be heard. Join the conversation and fight for our democracy. It is our duty and our constitutional right. Follow The Craig Silverman Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at C. Silverman Show. Be a part of the change. Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show. So, that is our show. At this moment in time, crazy times. I like my guests. They are both passionate. Brian Mason has a passion for prosecution and public service. And he has the courage to speak out against Donald Trump. But everybody should do that. Laura Chapin has a lot of courage and passion. So does Dave Gunders, our troubadour, who sets the tone every week especially this week. We've been waiting on that song. Sorry isn't good enough because I'll tell you, former friends of mine who still back Donald Trump, it's disappointing. He calls Kamala a monster because I think he realizes that he is a monster. And I have to wonder about people who would support a monster. Even if that person supports your pet cause, Find a better person who supports your pet cause. I'll be back next Saturday. God willing, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.